0: Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. The title of our lesson today, of our sermon today, and we're going to have to hurry. I'll have to speed preach this one, okay? It It is called, Because They Were Sinners. You might look at someone and say, is he talking about you? (laughs) Because they were sinners... You know, Jesus talks about a lot of people groups. If you look in the New Testament, you'll find Jesus talking about different groups of people. He identifies them. The Pharisees, you know, they were a religious group and they had a lot of laws and they had a lot of questions and they felt like their good works would lead them to heaven. You remember even the young rich ruler that came to Jesus said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, that's a Pharisaical approach. And there were about seven different groups of Pharisee. Then there were the Sadducees. Jesus talked about the Sadducees. What uh, what is a Sadducee? A Sadducee, they did not believe in the resurrection, so they didn't believe in the afterlife, so they would never ask about eternal life because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's why they were Sadducees. Sadducees. He talked about different groups. Well, one of the groups he talked about was tax collectors. Now, if you happen to be a tax collector here today, I'm not talking about you, okay? (laughs) Please don't, 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 uh, you know. uh, But Jesus categorized some people, and one of the groups of people that Jesus in the New Testament talked over and over and over and over and over about was tax collectors. In some translations, they call them publicans, okay? Now, a publican tax collector A publican tax collector was a Jew. A publican was a Jew who worked for the Roman government collecting taxes from his neighbors and his friends. So he was considered a traitor. I mean, it was bad enough that the Romans would levy a tax on you and charge you taxes. But then to get one of my neighbor, one of the Jews that lives in my community that was raised with me to go around collecting taxes for you. And, you know, uh, it, it was considered one of the lowest things you could do is to become a Roman tax collector working for the Romans as a Jew. You see, in this particular day, the way that a publican got their job is you bid for your job. And you would say, okay, if you will let me be the tax collector, I will give the Roman government this much money. Somebody else says, well, I'll give them this much. And somebody else says, well, I'll give them more. And somebody says, well, I'll give them this percentage of what I take up. And so the highest bidder, the one that would give the most money to the Roman government was the one that got the job, got the privilege of going around and collecting taxes from his neighbors. Now, the standard taxes in the Roman Empire was 1% of personal or business income, okay? Then it was 10%, of all of the crops that you harvested. On top of that was 20% of all the fruit, the wine, and the oil. Now, on top of the standard taxes, a tax collector walking on any public road could look at you and make you show them everything you have in your pockets and everything you're carrying in your sack. And anything that was being carried on a public road, a tax collector could make you unbundle it, and he would count it, and he would levy a tax on that on the spot. He would say, okay, you owe 10% of that right now because you are carrying goods on a Roman highway. And they had to pay it immediately on the spot or forfeit everything they had and go to jail. Now, these Roman tax collectors had tremendous power and authority, okay? Who better than your neighbor farmer? Who better than someone raised in your community would know where you would hide assets, where you would hide harvest, where you would hide a little of your income, you know? And that's why the Roman government, when they went in and took over a nation or took over a culture or a community, they would hire local people and they would just give them all the authority. And those local people knew where John was hiding his goods, knew that his harvest was more than he reported. And the local people would go and the income, the salary of the tax collector The Roman government did not pay a publican tax collector. You didn't get a salary from the government. What you got was anything that you could collect above what you promised to give to the government in your bid. It belonged to you. So you were responsible for collecting taxes and for collecting your own salary. And you set your own salary by how much you collected. That's why... These people were so hated. Hated like Zacchaeus. Do y'all remember Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 18? The Bible says he was a notorious sinner. By his own admission, he was corrupt. By his, he was very, very wealthy. But He admitted that he had taken things from people through coercion and corruption and he promised God that he would pay them back and he would even increase them and pay them more back than what he had stolen from them. He admitted that he was a thief, that he was a sinner, that he was corrupt. Well, this is the same thing. In fact, Jesus one time, In telling people telling his disciples how to handle problems he said if you have a problem with somebody you go to them alone and don't discover it to another person you tell them face to face you might gain a brother but if somebody steals something from you and you go and tell them and they don't you know uh, make it right then you take an elder from the church with you so that every word can be established and then that elder will be the judge and then whatever that elder says is what you should do because you're, you're you're empowering him to judge between You too and if the guy still won't pay you back and the elder says he'll pay you back and he won't then you put him before the church and you tell the church both sides and then the church makes a decision and basically votes on whether the guy should pay you back or not and if he should pay you back if it goes that far and he says I'm not doing it Jesus said in Matthew 18 treat him like a tax collector Put him out of your midst and treat him like a tax collector you know Jesus didn't have a whole lot of good things to say about this group of people are you with me on this well Matthew chapter 9 Matthew chapter 9 of course Matthew is written by Matthew Matthew was a disciple of Jesus and Matthew was a former tax collector. Okay? Now, Matthew is writing this account. And so, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus had been in the city of Capernaum. He's leaving the city of Capernaum, and he's walking out onto the highway, and he's going to walk along the northern uh, 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 shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so as he's walking along that shore, uh, it says this in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, the town of Capernaum, he saw a man named Matthew. Now remember, Matthew's writing this account of himself. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Matthew was a publican. And Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. And so Matthew arose and followed Jesus. Now, it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now, now Matthew just says that, you know, Jesus walked by a man named Matthew and called him and Matthew followed him. And, and then later at some, you know, sometime at some place they were sitting at a dinner and there were a lot of sinners around. Matthew kind of just, kind of just minimizes this and blows it off. That's because Matthew has this true heart of a humble disciple of Christ. He's showing his humility. In fact, in several places in Matthew, Matthew does not necessarily give us a lot of details about himself. Matthew does not boast about how many people he led to the Lord or or how much he gave or, or what it cost him. Matthew is kind of very, very humble in his approach to writing about himself. But we have Mark and Luke who are not bothered by embarrassing Matthew just a little bit. And so Luke, in this same account, in Luke writing about this account, having researched it, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After these things, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, which is Matthew, sitting at the tax office. And Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. And so Matthew left all and rose up and followed him. Then Levi, Matthew, gave Jesus a great feast in his own house. All of a sudden we find out that Matthew didn't tell us that, hey, this, this occurrence I'm fixing to tell you about actually happened in my house. Actually happened with my friends. Actually happened at my expense. I, yeah, 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 I threw Jesus. Yeah, Jesus asked me to come and follow him, and, 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 and I did. And it changed my life so much that, that, you know, I spent my own money, brought him into my own house, and gathered all my friends together so that they could hear him. That's what actually happened. And, the, and it says in, in verse uh, 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 Mm. well look at Mark Mark the second chapter verse 15 Mark even puts a little bit more onto it now it happened as Jesus was dining in Levi's house you know sometimes people imagine that these disciples were just young little boys in fact I've even heard it preached they're young teenagers didn't know very much and uneducated and you know, that's not the truth Peter was a married man when Jesus called him James and John were heirs to a fishing fleet, and they left the fishing fleet with their father and the hired servants. Okay? Matthew was a government official, wealthy, had his own house, and the ability to throw a great banquet in his own house. This guy is a man of means. He's a man who is, is has has had a lot. It's not he was aimlessly wandering around, didn't have anything else to do but b- become a preacher. Hello? <laughs> now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many. There was a bunch of them having a great feast. And guess what? They followed Jesus. The end result of that is that these other tax collectors and sinners, they got all changed in their life. And they gave their lives in pursuit of the things of Christ, just like Matthew did. They heard what he heard. They saw what he saw. And because he reached out to them and Jesus came and met with them, it changed their lives and they Followed Christ. Wow. How wonderful is that? Well, back to Matthew 9. Back to the story of humble Matthew telling us, you know, well, I was sitting with Jesus one day. You know, yeah, he called me. And then, you know, one day we were at a house and there were a lot of sinners there, you know. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners, when they saw it, These Pharisees said to the disciples of Jesus, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, sitting down to the Pharisees, to the religious people of that day, sitting down with someone and eating with them was tantamount to saying that you are in agreement with them and their lifestyle and what they're doing. Nothing could be farther from the truth. You see, just because Jesus was there did not mean that he agreed with the corruption or that he agreed with the thievery. Why does your master eat and associate with people like this? It wouldn't be the first time, the only time, or the last time that Jesus was accused of having consorted or been around or fellowshiped with or or congregated with. Sinners, to sit down and eat with someone or to be around with them, to love them. Love does not say, I agree with you. Love always says, I love you. Love says, I love you and I care about you. Love is not the measure of the person being loved. Love is the measure of God in the person that's doing the loving. Forgiveness is not the measure of the person that's being forgiven. Do you know that God loves you and he forgives you and that says nothing about you? Royce, I know you. God, how much God loves you doesn't say anything about you. It says everything about him. God loved me. He loved me when I was yet a sinner. He died for me, the ungodly, the just for the unjust. He gave his life a ransom for me before I ever knew him, loved him, cared about him, gave him the time of day. In my sin, he loved me. You see, love says nothing about the person that's being loved and everything about the person that is doing the loving Well, Jesus heard what the Pharisees had said, verse 12. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those that are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. Jesus said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He was quoting from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Mercy is greater than being judgmental or critical. It's greater than any other outward expression. The inward expression of our love for others is greater than any outward expression saying that we love God. But if we say we love God and we hate our brother, if we have this world's goods and our brother is in need and we do not move with compassion and help to meet those needs, especially an eternal need, then how does the love of God dwell in us? Sad to me that, some people get born again, and after a decade, they don't have any more sinner friends. How do you expect to catch fish? Oh, this is good stuff. I mean, I've read this right in the Bible. For I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance why was Jesus eating with these people because they were sinners why was he spending his time with these people because they were sinners (laughs) I mean something should ring in our life true that somewhere in our life we need to be spending some time on purpose with sinners Let me tell you some things I got out of this. Y'all ready? All right. Number one, we should hate sin, but we should love to be around sinners. I know that's controversial, but listen to it again. We should hate sin, but we should love to be around sinners. It should get us as excited as a fisherman whenever he's going out and knowing that there's a school. There's something running out there, whatever it is. The running of the wildebeest. What is it? The running of the, you know. Salmon flounder redfish, whatever whenever you get up in the morning and you hear that. Oh my goodness. Woo Man, there's a bumper crop of squirrels October 1st squirrel season opens You ought to get excited about oh my goodness. Oh, woo, woo. I can't wait to get to work. There are sinners everywhere Glory to God, I'm going to Walmart today. Do you know how many sinners are in Walmart? Woo! I get to go and sit in a classroom with about 30 other people. Woo! There's a bunch of sinners. Woo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting a man. Yeah. There are near six and a half billion sinners outside this door, and probably 17 in here. (laughs) What are you laughing at, Shirley? I was including you in there. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. We should hate sin. Don't let sinners make you sin. Okay, now don't do that. Don't do that. Sinning with them. Jesus didn't go over there so he could sin with them. He went over there because he loved them. And he understood what they were facing without him. Number two, every humble heart deserves a chance to change. Matthew was a tax collector, but he was a man with a humble heart. And when Jesus came by, it broke his heart, and he just said yes to Christ. Do you know how many people have a humble heart? Not everyone you meet will say yes, but those people who have a humble heart, listen, give them a chance to change. Do you know the other disciples welcomed Matthew into that group? Even though most likely Matthew had collected taxes from James and John, and James is John's daddy, and from Philip, and from Andrew, because they lived right there in the same city. The Apostle Peter living right The the Apostle Peter's mother-in-law lived in Capernaum, had a home in Capernaum. She had to pay house taxes, no doubt, to Matthew. Okay, just look. Every humble heart deserves a chance to change. Give them a chance to change. Number three, if one person you're talking to does not need Jesus, then find a person who does. Don't get all bent out of shape. Not ever. You know, Jesus said, I, I didn't come to call the righteous. I didn't come to call the religious. I came to call the sinner to repentance. I'm looking for people that need me. I promise you, if you'll leave your house looking for those that need him instead of those that want to argue about him, you'll be more successful winning souls. Okay? Yeah. Now, confrontational evangelism belongs to people with a calling to it. Most of you are not called to confrontational evangelism. Some of you are. But most of you are called to pick fruit. Just to let the fruit fall. Because Jesus said the fields are ripe. I just need more harvesters. You're just a harvester. Okay? You water seed, you sow seeds, and you, and you, and you pick fruit. that falls off into your hands. That's easy. If you will do it on purpose. Something that we've done with our Marketplace Ministry... In in England, it's what I'm going to ask you to just just think about. It's not for everybody, but don't discount it, okay? Because Jesus has given us a picture of this. We might consider giving a feast in our own homes at our own expense and inviting some sinner friends to meet Jesus. (laughs) You can witness on the workplace and you should. You can witness on the streets, and you should, but there's something powerful. Jesus did it over and over and over. He went to Zacchaeus. He told Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus said, okay. You know how many people say, okay. Hey, look, I want you to come to my house. Okay? I want you to come out. I want you to sit down. I want you to eat. I want to talk to you. And I just want to show you the love of Christ. And I, before you leave, I'm going to tell you about a God that loves you and that humble heart. Not everyone, but listen, what happened in Matthew's situation? He had a life change. He, 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 he got him a bunch of food together and invited a bunch of people to his house, a bunch of sinners to his house. You know, and, and, and there he, 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 he introduced them to Jesus and they followed him. We can do that same thing. I'm thinking that we need to have this huge mass revival in America, in our own homes, okay, on purpose. But you're never going to catch a fish if you don't get out there where the fish are. And when you go fishing, you generally take a pole and some bait. Don't forget you're doing this on purpose. Introduce them to Jesus. Talk about Him. I fed you. Now let me tell you why I ask you here. Because I serve a God that loves you so much and cares about you. Has a plan for your life. Would you consider giving your life to Him tonight? Some won't, some will. But more will if you ask them. In fact, today... I'm well aware that there could be someone here who is not sure they're on their way to heaven. Every time that we invite people to, to God's house and we 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 put on a feast of his word, the bread of life, we are very careful to make sure that we ask people, are you sure you're saved? Are you born again? Do you know the love of Christ? Have you asked Jesus to come into your heart and your life? Do you recognize that you need a Savior? Do you realize that He wants to save your soul? If you're willing just to turn your life over to Him and ask Him to come in, He will save you. And life will change. It changed for me immediately. The way I think, the way I feel, and where I'm headed, it changed. It'll change for you as well. So today, as we are closing, I'm going to ask you, are you sure you're born again? If you are born again, then... Let me encourage you. Hate the sin, but love the sinners. Don't be critical and judgmental and condemning. Offer them the good news Jesus loves them. And if you come across someone who does not need Jesus, find the next person because they will. And consider opening up your heart and your home to sinners on purpose so that you can bring them to Christ.